Hey folks, this is Anatoly, and you're listening to the Solana Podcast. And today I have uh, Kevin Rose with me. Um, he's known as founder of Dig and early Solana investor and runs his own amazing podcast. Dude, it's good to be here, Tolly. I'm glad we're like, you've been on my show a couple of times. It's cool to be on yours. Yeah, I think you were an inspiration to for us to even start a podcast. We saw how folks are able to listen to these things and, and kind of educate themselves on, on crypto and all things crypto. So yeah, it's funny. I, I, um, I had you on my show, uh, gosh, I mean, it was, I guess it's been a couple years ago or at least over a year. And I've had two people reach out that said to me, I listened to that show and I later bought Solana. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, like basically just being so stoked, um, which, which was awesome. But yeah, uh, for me, the podcast has been, you know, I, I launched a new show called Modern Finance, and it's uh, dedicated to all things kind of, well, like it says, modern finance, anything built in the last five years, which means mostly kind of all blockchain-based um, uh, crypto instruments that we're seeing emerge, um, including NFTs and a bunch of other crazy things. So that's been a fun, fun show for me to get off the ground. And now I think I'm like seven or eight episodes in. So it's, it's been great. Got to have you back on that one. That's that's a brand new one for me. Oh, for sure. Lo- would would love to do it. I guess I'd love to hear your story. Like you're kind of a serial founder, founded Dig, you know, Zero Oak, right? Yeah. Those are the successes, right? I'm sure there's a graveyard. <laughs> like like yeah. every founder has. I have a billion ideas that failed uh, before I stumbled on on what I'm doing today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, it's um, it was one of those things where. In 2004, I, I'd always been just like hacking on little software projects. And I thought to myself, like, why not just go, I don't have any kids, I don't have a wife, like, why not just go build some stuff on my own? And so I quit my job at Tech TV and launched Dig, which ended up being the first social news website, very much inspired by what was happening at Slashdot. Thought the stories of Slashdot were really cool, but couldn't see all the submissions. You know, those were in a walled garden that only the admins got to see, and then they would approve these ones. And I thought, well everyone should be able to see what's being submitted. There's probably some other really cool gems in there, right? And like, let's let people vote on these things because uh, a beautiful th- new technology just came out called Ajax, which means that you could actually click on something and watch it update without having to go to a different page. <laughs> you know, it's like early web too. I was like, holy crap, this is going to change everything. And so, you know, this was pre-Facebook like button and everything else. And, and we created voting on stories and you know, of course, Reddit came along uh, a, a few months later, and then we competed with Reddit pretty heavily, and and we thought we had won. I mean, the, we, Reddit was sold off to Condé Nast, and we had just crushed them for like five years, and you know we were at thirty eight million so or the monthly uniques, and then they just had this one killer key innovation, which was let's let let's explore the long tail, let's let's let anyone start a subreddit, and when they did that, it was just all of a sudden. It was too late for us. We were overcapitalized and, and too much in, in in working with VCs to try and make this a quote unquote commercial venture versus just staying true to our community. And and it flipped and, and we lost it. But I mean, so many great memories, man. Adventures, South by Southwest, conferences, live podcasts back then. And just like, I don't regret a minute of all that that fun and chaos that was all things Dig. Yeah, I remember like Dig being the first thing that I type into my URL. That's an honor, <laughs> like, man. That's coming from yeah. you. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was I was like an early, you know, like I, I would go on Slashdot all the time too, and, and Dig just seemed like a more streamlined, better version with kind of more interesting stuff on it after a while. 
Um, it's interesting how this stuff evolves. Like, you know, you have these like communities form around websites and content and Reddit, I think is, is really the community of communities, which is kind of, it's kind of its own meta thing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. It's, it, it is very, um, I remember in the early days, I mean, it was very easy because we, all of the members of their, that community back then when they first signed up, and I'm talking the first like, you know, hundred thousand users, very much in it for the right reasons, like wanting to see great content on the homepage. And then our scope was just beyond tech news. And we opened up the taxonomy to be kind of more of everything in the world. And we introduced the, the politics section. And uh, <laughs> that's when things changed. And, you know, there was, there was times when the, the most hardcore time was during the, uh, the very first uh, election when Obama was up for the first time. He ended up winning, and obviously, and there was just so much hate and fighting on both sides. I started receiving death threats because they thought we were uh, favoring Obama and promoting too many Obama stories to the front page. And so there was a time where we had to actually get the FBI involved because it was there was a very specific threat about where I would be and that they were going to kill me and shoot me. Whoa. And I had to hire like armed guards to come with me to this live event that I was scheduled to speak at. And it was just insane. It was, that was like when I realized, oh crap, like social is great, but we all can't play in the same sandbox. And this could be a very powerful, potentially evil thing if used in the, in the wrong ways. Sorry, I had to go through that. That's quite a story. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, uh, it, it was definitely, it, you know, in some parts you're like, oh, this is badass. I got my own armed security guard with me. <laughs> I was dumb, you know, I was like in my early twenties. I thought it was kind of cool, even though it was scary. You know, it's like so stupid. Yeah. Do you see like, um, the kind of stuff that the crypto is going through right now is similar to those early web two days? Were we kind of just figuring out Ajax? Yes and no. And that in the early days of Web 2, any consumer that had a browser could take advantage of the technologies that we were building. And that's not the case with, with this kind of, you know, quote unquote, Web 3 or whatever you want to call it, what we're seeing now. It, it's more like, it's actually more reminds me of like the move from, I don't know, I'm definitely going to date myself here or something, but like maybe like, people that were getting into Linux for the first time, like, you know, and you were, you had to compile everything <laughs> on your own, like, or, or like the move from like DOS to windows or something like, you know, like where it was a, it, it's, it was a lot more heavy lifting and it was de definitely for the geeks. And then eventually we got an interface. We, we there was an interface that everyone could access and it was, it was pretty straightforward on how to use it. And people figured out the mouse and like, you know, trusted the, their credit cards with the internet, which was another major hurdle for a lot of people. I remember when Amazon first came out, there were articles written about who would trust putting their credit card into the internet. You know, it was just like the scariest thing at that time. Yeah. Like, you know, so I see this as is very much the very first inning of this stuff. Now, I think that the whether you hold it or interact with the projects or you just hold Bitcoin or Ethereum, I, I think gone are the days of this is just a potential fad. Like there was, there was the talk, you know, for years and years now, it's been like, well, I'm just going to buy this. And when it goes up, I'm going to sell it. And then, you know, it'll go back down again and I'll buy back in again and I'll sell it again. And there's this like roller coaster that we've all experienced. Um, but with just, you know, institutional money coming in and outpacing retail as of Q4 of last year, I mean, this isn't just random people speculating over Thanksgiving dinner anymore, which is what it used to be. This is, this is real corporations coming in and saying, 
this needs to be a, a part of our holdings. Like we we need to actually keep some cryptocurrency uh, on the books here. And um, you know, I think that Tesla's and the Squares, obviously, very tech forward, technology first companies. Like that's just we're, there's going to be a story every other month now of somebody else adopting and holding uh, cryptocurrency on their books. So I, I think it's it's very exciting. It's it's clearly legitimate. Gone are the days of me saying I'm going to sell off some of this because the gains are too. Like I want to take some off the table. There is there is no more table. Like the new table is cryptocurrency. Like <laughs> yeah. there's nothing to take off anymore. Like it's my default. You know. So you're fully red pill. You you treat the U.S. dollar as just another token. I almost treat the U.S. dollar as like it, it's you know I honestly I I get a little frightened for the dollar. If I'm China and I'm Russia and I want to take on the dollar, I'm just going to start buying up Bitcoin and do everything I can to force Bitcoin as the global reserve currency. I, I think that is probably the easiest way to, I wouldn't say destable the dollar, but definitely force another equal. And I just I just have a feeling that if things go sideways for the United States, and, and obviously I live here, this is my country, I, don't, I, I will do everything in my power to make sure that's not the case, but Bitcoin, in my mind, is a fantastic hedge against volatility in the dollar. As weird as that sounds, it used to be the other way around just a few years ago. You know? Yeah, th- these are like you know interesting times. I guess I I was born in the USSR, and that no longer exists. But what I have kind of observed with Bitcoin is that it's almost like a better version of the dollar, right? Like there's this ideal in the Soviet Union about what the United States is, that it's free and open and fair. And like everyone believed it <laughs> like, yeah. because it was such a contrast to where, what you were surrounded with. And a lot of that is still true. And I think to me, it's interesting that like, you know, if I, ironically, I think Bitcoin might save the financial system in the United States because you see corporations just adopting it quickly and no one's stopping them, right? The U.S. government's not going to go and tell Square you can't do this. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, I think that on the on the corporate, you know, Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 side, yeah, hundred percent. But what about hopefully? And that's part of the reason why I launched this podcast is we need to break this stuff down in something that is like the average consumer can understand so that they can get on ramped uh, onto this sooner rather than later. You know, I, I just, cause you know, the U S government is not going to say we're no longer the reserve currency and start going out and buying and holding Bitcoin. That's just not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. There'll, there'll be so many other countries that come on board first. And when that happens, Oh my God, it's going to be crazy. It's like, we're talking trillions of dollars are going to flow into, into Bitcoin. Yeah. You think there's going to be sovereign, uh, smaller, or like you think like a major world power is going to buy Bitcoin as a reserve currency? Uh, I, I bet it's happening right now. Okay, no, you don't okay. think it's happening right now secretly? I don't know. Uh, man, <laughs> I don't know. If if you're some small country and and you and you're sitting there and you're got you've got you know you've got your own local currency that's all over the the, the map, you know it, it's unstable as hell or. It, why would you not just go hedge a little bit and throw 10% of uh, into some type of crypto asset? It just seems like a smart play if, if I'm in charge of one of these world banks. Yeah, oh, man, it seems crazy to me, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, right? You just think they're too old school? You think they're just, like, they're just too yeah. you know stuck in their ways? And 
But it's so true. But think about this. I mean, I'm in my 40s. I'd do it. So maybe we're a decade out where there's a change of the guard and all of a sudden there's younger players in control and, and they're saying, yeah, you know what, guess, because cool, think of it this way. If you were starting, you know, they have these little like barges and stuff that you can buy that they're on their little countries and stuff like that. Remember that story? Yeah. Like a few years ago, there was like this barge off the coast. <laughs> like if you were starting a new country today, what are you going to do? Go buy a printing press? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, of course you're going to be like digital blockchain based, like crypto first. Like that's just, there's no question that's the future right yeah of course but that's like us starting you know our weird digital communities weird like you know our subreddits right <laughs> or one person i don't know if you know gunny from like hero he called them little kibbutzes like we're all like kind of building our little communities where we farm our coins right <laughs> like our yams and potatoes yeah. <laughs> but i don't know if if like you can convince like old school security council like France or, or United Kingdom to be like, well, we're done with gold <laughs> or we need to consider Bitcoin as one of these assets. I mean, anything could happen, right? I think what's going to happen is you're going to see uh, the first thing that's going to happen. Well, we've seen corporations. So that's step one. So let's talk about the institutional side. So family offices, corporations, like that's all coming online. They're buying and holding currency. You're going to see big banks. That has to be next, right? Because you're going to look stupid. They're going to, no one wants to look stupid. Everyone wants to provide this asset to their high net worth clients, right? So the JP Morgans, the Goldman Sachs, like the, the big players are going to figure out ways to on-ramp people. And you get enough of those and throw in a, a credit suisse and a few others, and all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't look so stupid to, to some country out there to get involved, you know? Yeah, I mean... We'll see, right? Like, I think, like, that's probably going to be a net good for the world if there isn't, like, these massive devaluations in, like, small countries where, like, the random luck of the draw gives them, like, really bad leaders, right? Like, I think for humans, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. But <laughs> it's crazy. It's totally nuts. It is crazy. <laughs> One of the things that has been, like, really interesting to me is watching kind of the NFT craze. And a large part of it came from my experiences playing like Ultima Online, EverQuest, like all those games where you kind of, for the first time, when I was using the internet, I was surrounded by mostly like-minded people doing something fun. Yeah. And decent numbers of them, maybe thousands, tens of thousands. And just, it wasn't like a million people all, all on one server, right? Like technology can really handle it then. But those 10,000 people, like, because we could disconnect and reconnect back in the same state, just like you can with blockchain. Yeah. That persistence of that world created economies just randomly. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of see the NFT thing just being continuation of that. Like if you have some form of persistence and you just have enough people, they'll start creating shiny trinkets and trading <laughs> them with each other. Yeah. And especially with just like this idea that, I mean, those shiny, even Ultima Online shuts down at some point, yeah. right? Like these, that it, when it's, the, the fact that it's fully decentralized and the fact that you can move these shiny trinkets cross world and into any format you want. I mean, they can they can be at a bar with you on your mobile phone that you're showing to friends, or they can be hanging in a virtual world somewhere, or both at the same time, right? <laughs> or on a, a digital frame in your house. Like the optionality and just like what you can do with these. It's fun. It's fun to dream. It's fun to think I could walk into a resort or a bar somewhere, see a beautiful limited edition piece of art hanging on the wall and scan it with my the QR code at the bottom of it with my phone and walk out with it. 
Like that's so rad. Like that's just like, that should exist. That sounds like a really cool world or, you know, it's like, there's just so many use cases here that it, it's going to be fun to track. Now, granted, the problem with NFTs is, is it, it is uh, very hyped up right now. It's on the front page of the New York Times every other day. And, you know, obviously anyone with a little bit of Ethereum and a copy of uh, Photoshop can become an NFT producer. So there's going to be a lot of flood in the market. And just like with the Beanie Baby craze, you know, you, when you print or when you produce enough of them, all of a sudden, where, where is the value, right? So there's projects that I look at and I just think like, oh, these people are going to get burned long term. There's others that I look at and think this is really something new and novel and interesting and probably worth holding long term. So like anything else, like the art world in general, you just have to take your time, uh, really fully understand the major players in the space and why they're meaningful and important. And and if you're going to collect, do it through that lens, not just because it's uh, it's the hot thing in the moment, if that makes sense. Are you collecting it purely for like financial gain or for the art? as a person. So I was very lucky enough to buy the, some, I had 12 crypto punks that I bought when the project first launched three or four years ago, whatever it was. And so I didn't get them in the initial kind of like free giveaway thing they did, but I think I paid around five or $10 a piece for them. So it was like relatively small dollars. And then just held on to him. I actually forgot the wallet because it was on some parody wallet that I didn't even have the key for. And I eventually dug it out and found it on an old key, on an old uh, encryption thing that I was using at the time. It wasn't one password, it was a different one. But I found it, got them out. And then I was like, holy crap, these are worth a lot of money now. <laughs> so for me, I thought, well, actually, I want to trade up. So I, I sold a bunch of them off and then bought a zombie, which is one of the rare ones. There's only 88 zombies. And I, I think of like this to me is, you know, you could argue what was the very first NFT, but this is the organization, you know, Larva Labs that they were the ones that established the standard, the ERC-721 standard for, for NFTs. They're the ones that when they built the CryptoPunks, the standard was based off of what they built. And it was, they are considered the first project kind of cemented into the Ethereum blockchain. So I will think there will forever be some historic value there. And also, they're just so bad, they're good, if that makes sense. They're so stupid and pixelated and 25 by 25. And some have clown noses and some of them look like, but they're like endearing in that way. Like, you know, you look at them and you're like, they're so like, it just feels like simpler times, you know? <laughs> like, it reminds me of like playing like Leisure Suit Larry game yeah. back in like the, <laughs> the like early 90s or something. Like, you know, everything was like just little pixels and stuff. And so, when I look at that, I, I, I think I want to own a piece of history. I'm not trying to make money on these things. And I, I think that they will go up in value over time. And it's not to mean that, you know, if somebody talks me into selling one at some point later in time, I wouldn't do it. But, you know, I'm waiting for the, actually, oddly enough, I'm waiting for the actual physical hardware technology to catch up to where I can have frames on my wall. Because it'd be so awesome if like my friends come over and they walk into my living room and there's a big zombie on the wall and they're like, holy crap. And like, yeah, that's my zombie there. There he is, and he's one with a smiley face, and there's only two with smiley faces, and I like him because he looks a little bit more honest than the most most of them do, which is actually why I do like him. Not most of the zombies look pissed off, and mine is smiling. Um, so you know, it's just like I, I like that, and I, I. So those are the types of projects I, I look at. You know, I think Art Blocks is another one that is doing some really cool stuff. Have you seen Art Blocks at all? I haven't. 
I haven't, but I'll check. Yeah, so it's artblocks.io. It's it's really cool because what they're doing is they're more on the uh, generative art side. So they actually cement the code required to render the art into the blockchain. So mostly JavaScript. This is like framework that's called P5JS is what most of it is written in. But they have all these artists, they curate these artists. So it's not just a free-for-all. You can't just log in and publish something. But they actually work with artists and they work on these projects and they have like a little sandbox where you can see what's about to come out. And the cool thing about this is it's this random generative art, meaning that the artist defines the framework, but you don't know what you're going to get until you actually press it into the chain. So the second you do the transaction, it generates the random component to it and then changes all the characteristics of the actual piece of art. And sometimes, like there's been a couple of times where I generated one and I had some more rare attributes and instantly it's worth 50 times the value because it generated some of the rare attributes. You're like, holy crap, I got one of the good ones, you know, or it just has something that looks a little bit funky and then you go on OpenSea and you trade them. And, but they're all really beautiful, just like really cool, well thought out pieces of, of art that are not just someone in Photoshop. And not to say I'm not knocking the, the great artists in Photoshop because there's a bunch of that stuff that I really respect. This is just like a different form of this type of of crypto art that I'm uh, NFTs that I'm excited about. You know, I'm I'm excited. Honestly, one of the things and I'd love to get your take on this. Um, but one of the things that is a bummer about Ethereum, well, it's it's good in in so many ways, but the fact that you can read all the smart contract language and not have any of it private. And I, I know there's probably some sidechain stuff that's working on fixing some of this, but you can't really program mystery. And so some of the promise of some of the art that I'm excited about is dynamic art that changes over time that I'm not aware of. Meaning like, I want to buy a Beeple that every year, then, and he's written you know 50 years into the future, that every year a different aspect of my piece of art changes. And I have no idea what that's going to be because it's in an encrypted smart contract that I can't read. But that art morphs and changes and unlocks over time. That's freaking cool. Can you do that with Solana? Can you do any encrypted smart contracts? You can. Well, you, the base layer doesn't really provide that, but something like zero knowledge proofs could give you a guarantee that this thing that he built ran correctly, and you got what you were promised, like fifty years from now. So you can kind of you can build that into the contracts. Um, it, would that be hidden though? Would those attributes be hidden from the user? Yeah, you 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 could hide them and then reveal them effectively every every 50 years there's some ways oh i love that there's some ways to make a guarantee like there's these things called rsa time locks where you have to hash this thing for 20 years until you get to the end and then you reveal the secret key which then decrypts this thing and then you, you got like ah, <laughs> we gotta do that this is so cool is anyone do you know anyone working on this I do not but this would be like these kinds of projects would be really fun to support simply for the what i love about like the idea of blockchain to me isn't like the financial side of it. It's this permanent, persistent, universal computer. It like really goes back to this, like my Ultima Online days where I would come back to the game and it was still there with like new stuff because there's people like doing stuff. But imagining that it can never be shut down is is this like what gives it like real realness, right? Like brings the digital world to to the real one. Man, Ultima Online was so freaking cool. 
the Ultima series in general, like wh- I remember seeing, uh, there was an old TV show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And they did a segment on the founder of Ultima and they showed his house. He had like all these secret compartments and like hidden doors, <laughs> and, like little passageways and shit in his house. And I was like, he's a computer programmer. And I was like, I want to be that guy so bad. <laughs> that was like, as like a 16 year old kid or however old I was, you know, I was like, thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. What a great franchise. Yeah. That, that was like one of those games where there was no nerfing. Like you be, you would just get killed in the middle of the city. and you're like those events that were like so frustrating i kind of still remember them i still remember being like so just being pissed yes like (laughs) that's awesome yeah and i guess you kind of get some of that with crypto right you go into the wrong smart contract (laughs) and stuff goes totally wrong yeah, that that smart contract stuff is is scary from time to time. You know, like that. Th- that's why I don't I don't trust a lot of funds to to some of these contracts that are out there. Do you think that the art aspect of the NFTs, like the actual art, can be its own genre, like, or is it going to be attached to like traditional mediums? Or, or, or like in my mind, I think like the fact that it's part of like these digital Ethereum space or Solana, like it's part of that, I think kind of separates it. Yeah. You're, I'm not really judging it based on like the digital representation of it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I think it is, it is its own genre. And, you know, I I would never even consider like printing these things or would I care to even have a printed copy of the artist. You know, I have a friend of mine that is a, a great artist, uh, does these fantastic ocean paintings. Uh, his name's Mark Himian, and he's um, he's been selling NFTs, but he pairs it with like an actual physical painting as well. And even Beeple does this too, where he'll send out like these digital frames called infinite objects that he'll put with like a little QR code on there that shows you who originally owned it. But, you know, people will sell those off separately from the actual NFT, but it seems like the NFT, the digital side is actually what has the most value. So yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think we're in this awkward phase where people, traditional collectors are like, well, wait a second, but I also want to print. And I'm just like, ah, oh, that's so old school thinking. Like, just give me the, the NFT. Yeah, it's like skeuomorphism in the first iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, people, people really needed to feel like it's a book or something, right? Some of those apps. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think the digital side of it is so much, so much more powerful. I'm kind of imagining that, you know, once you have enough folks owning these things that if you're ever building a new game, a new experience, you would want to include all of these items because that's kind of becomes your user base, your market. A hundred percent. That then that's the cool thing that I mean in some of these games like, you know, sandbox. I interviewed that founder recently, like they're supporting all the standards, so you can just bring them in and talk about what an amazing thing to say. I can create a new game and I don't have to worry about building the assets in some sense. It's like there, there will be a world where you just can just boot up something, a, a, your own unique take on whatever universe you want to create and not have to worry about the objects because there's millions of them already out there and that you just have to bring the players in and they'll bring the objects, you know? Yeah. So odd. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it, it is really odd. <laughs> you know, if we live in a simulation everything we've been doing is to kind of build our own, right? A universe of simulations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that I was thinking about this the other day where some of the games that are, that are being created out there, some of these like sandbox is one that I was chatting with the guy and he, they're making these little like spaces where 
they will have different attributes and different qualities to the space that you enter into. So as you can imagine, one might be like very much you're entering into a kind of World of Warcraft type game. Another one might be like a, a racing type game. And then I was just thinking like, well, wow, this is going to be interesting when when traditional gaming catches on to this. I mean, there, there is a world where, you know, I guess there was a very famous game by Nintendo called Mario World, but there is a world where you could build levels of Mario World that you would own and you would charge people whatever the native token is to enter in and play your universe. And I mean, that could be a future revenue model for Nintendo without a doubt. And you could earn actual real revenue on people playing your, your virtual world. Like that's, that's crazy. And bring in all of your old favorite character, childhood characters. Yeah. It's very yeah. doable, <laughs> which is crazy, yeah. which is insane. And all, all blockchain powered, which is nuts. Uh, it's gonna, I feel like the gaming industry, while was such a huge, you know, adoptive force for computing, it seems like kind of behind on this. Yeah. Well, it's just because, I mean, why would you want to share any of the revenue at this point? Right? Like if you, if you control virtual good sales, you get 100% cut of that. They can't leave your game. Like if they can leave your game and go into another game, like, or someone can bring their goods into your game, you've lost out on a sale. So it's. I think it's what we're going to see is the indie game. Uh, the, the indie gamers are really going to be the ones that profit here. Like they'll be the ones to embrace this stuff. Yeah. Even like I'm, I'm surprised that since Ultima Online, when it was able to buy like Ultima Gold on eBay, that still hasn't like been like a default mechanism. Is Ultima Online still online? I, I don't, I'm not sure. I feel bad that we're talking like about it, and it's, we. I don't even know if it's online. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what? Here it is, Ultima Online. Play now for free. UO.com. Who owns this? Is this EA now? I was going to say, you've got that uh, Solana fund. It is EA. <laughs> Dude, I know what you need to do. You need to buy Ultima Online. That would be that would be awesome. And just put it all on Solana. <laughs> Dude, you have the resources. Make that right. shit happen. This would be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that you have the time to make it happen, but you definitely <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> if, if anyone that is, that is at <laughs> yeah. EA listening that still has anything to do with the Ultima Online franchise. Yeah, if you want to sell it, please reach out. It would be yeah. so much fun to bring this onto Solana and make this like the new Ultima Online. That would be so badass. Yep. I, I guess for games and stuff, do you see like the future of this being like metaverse games or... Is this what you're kind of most excited about with NFTs or? No, I mean, I, I'm excited in that I, I, it's funny. I was a big VR hater for, for many, many years. And I know that's different, but I'm not a massive gamer. I do play from time to time. I think that it's a great additional use case for the art that is generated from the NFT world. So it's just, it's interesting to think about how that can be moved into these types of environments and I'm actually really excited about this idea that users for all the time that they spend playing games, they're never, ever, ever compensated. It's lost. I mean, they're compensated in emotional, you know, fun and the the thrill that they get from, you know, collaborating with friends and having fun with all these things. But we're, we're talking about economies now that where they actually can be have part-time jobs crafting items in these games and, and cashing them out for the cryptocurrency of their choice. You know, that that's cool. So 
you know, there's already been many, many games that have had some of these massive kind of GDPs that are bigger than some third world countries. I could, I could see that really taking off in a, in a pretty powerful way um, with, you know, the kind of underpinnings of the blockchain powering it all. So that I'm excited about. Yeah. I think like the metaverse games will come. I, I am just unfortunately not as big of a gamer as I used to be. It's, it's just the time is not there yeah, to same. invest like, you know, 10 hours a night. <laughs> yeah. I always want to be though, still like I've, I've got this like grand dream of just like not checking email and just like going, you know, and just like having like a little half of a weed gummy and just like going into a metaverse and just killing it evening. And it never happens. I'm like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck on email and doing work yeah. stuff, you know, job simulator. <laughs> eating, eating some, eating some gummies and then yeah. playing, you know, blockchain founder simulator. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely don't want to do that uh, when writing code or yeah. touching any real project. Um, are, are you planning on starting any any projects yourself? Are you, are you still writing code? No, gosh, yeah, actually, I I did I did ramp back up on on Python here not too long ago, about a year ago, just so I was. I felt like I wasn't in some ancient language, like with PHP. I'm like, I gotta like at least play around and, and try some of these new frameworks. So I I did that, but you know, I'm just not efficient. You have to know what you're good at, you know? And like, for me, I'm just way too slow. My brain doesn't work like that. I'm much better on the more creative and product side. So defining features and functionality, working through user flows and just properly instrumenting different applications and looking for pain points from users and just kind of thinking through novel feature sets is like what I've always really enjoyed when building new consumer facing products. And so that's, that's where I need to, I need to stay in that lane. But you know, these days I'm enjoying being a venture capitalist I'm, you know, partner over true ventures. I love that. We're doing a lot of blockchain related investing. I mean, this year alone, we've deployed over $50 million into new projects we don't do a lot of PR around that, so you wouldn't like know that unless you talk to us. But, but yeah, we are heavily invested in in the space. And for me, I, I think it's my job these days, given that you know I love doing the podcast stuff, to just like how can I make sure that the average consumer isn't left out here? And so I, I want to help onboard people to what can be very complicated things. I mean, as silly as it may seem for us to click through you know, go to one inch and execute these crazy trades with MetaMask and watch it reroute through a handful of different protocols, like that scares the shit out of most people. It actually still scares the shit out of me, like when I'm doing those things. Yep. But like, you know, I, I, and I think that's still very dangerous, but I, I think there are more lighter weight ways to get people excited about and involved in these cryptocurrencies, especially when I look at the top 50 list. And I think people... Many, many people are stuck in kind of traditional finance thinking where they think, well, I should just own an index fund. I should just own the top 10 coins. And I would agree. See, the, the beautiful thing about the real index funds, publicly traded index funds, is that they're tied to real PL. And so the bad ones naturally fall out of the top 10, right? So that's not happening in the crypto space. And so I uh, you know I don't want to name names but we could all look down the top 25 list and say uh scam, yeah, crappy, uh abandon, uh you know ha there haven't been any GitHub updates in in two and a half years and people are still buying these, you know? And so I'm just like that that scares me and I think that's why 
uh, I want to focus on bringing just more education in the space and helping, hopefully just helping people avoid some, some of the bad stuff. Yeah. That's been like really curious to me as well. Like what, what does it take for a project to truly die? Like when the, when nobody stops mining. Right. Well, then they're tying their chains to other chains, right? So they're saying, well, it does, it's not about our hash power. We're just going to suck hash power off of someone else. And so we'll get the security of this other chain. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, Multicoin folks wrote kind of a, an article on this. And the one thing they could see was like when you start getting delisting, mm. when you've kind of like lost liquidity, access to liquidity, um, then you start seeing projects actually kind of go away forever. The weird thing is they actually never die though, right? They they may jump down to number 150 yeah. on the on the top coins by market cap, yeah. but like they're just still there. <laughs> it's so weird. Right. Well, with the persistent decks like Uniswap or Serum, yeah. those the listings may just never happen, right? Like as long as there's right. <laughs> you know, something about like lack of a garbage collector, right? To actually go yeah. and pick this stuff up. It's interesting on how you classify these things too, like where the value accrues and it's just, you know, Dogecoin for me is such an interesting I mean, there's going to be research papers written on on that one. Like what a fantastic community that formed around that cryptocurrency. But if you were to judge them in terms of their kind of technical expertise and what they've done to the project, uh, well, Jackson, the, the guy that started it is, is a friend of mine and um, he's abandoned the project a long time ago. He left it and he gave the keys over to these other two developers maybe like three, four years ago. And uh, they kind of just did very minimal, like, oh, we need to do a bug fix here or there. And then boom, it just, well, of course, Elon Musk just touches anything and it turns to gold. Then it just reignites like the whole community again. And they rally around it. And it's such a fascinating thing. It's like, it's like the community coin. But, but then again, as Elon pointed out, there's a bunch of big whales sitting in there, which makes it kind of a little bit like uh, it's, it's a bummer. You know, it's not really equally spread. So, yeah. but that was a fun one that I, I wouldn't, technically it's kind of dead, but, but in, in terms of community, it's like probably one of the top three, you know? I, I think it's, it's community is almost like, the response to Bitcoin maximalism. Like if, 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 if Bitcoin wasn't so maximal, then yeah. Doge might never exist. But, you know, they push enough people out that those people are like, hey, why don't we just make a joke? Yeah, it's it's. I never understood the, the Bitcoin maximalists. Like I, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. I have a big position in it. But why, why does it have to be just one coin to rule them all? <laughs> it's like odd to me yeah well they want to be the one that you know national powers uses their <laughs> instead of gold yeah um i don't know if we could have more than one of those yeah maybe right like th those are like all questions that are like we'll see like it'd be really weird if somebody said oh we're also going to use a proof of work coin but not bitcoin and it's going to be the store value for Russia. Well, I mean, that might exist if it's a, if it's homegrown, right? Like when China launches their own cryptocurrency yeah. or whoever, whatever country, if it's homegrown, that might be the case. I mean, that's a possibility too, just as likely as them buying Bitcoin, if not more. Yeah, without a doubt. And then that's, that gets interesting too, because then, you know, if you want to own a piece of that economy, do you buy in local stocks in that economy or do you actually just buy and hold their currency. It's it's all very confusing. It's it's past my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 
I want to kind of go back to the NFT thing. Um, what what was your take on the Christie sale of of the Beeple piece? I think it was crazy. Uh, it is historic on many fronts. The biggest one being, in my mind, that Christie's has blessed NFTs and and crypto in some sense, and then now they're doing another one with the CryptoPunks here that's coming up here soon, a second auction. So you've got there's only a handful of like very old school traditional auction houses, you know, the Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips to some extent. This is one of the top saying this is art. And that alone, I don't even care what the, the sale price is. It's insane that it was the third highest living artist sale or whatever it ended up being. But just the fact that they even endorsed it, 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 it says something that this is the future for them and that they, they see it as a serious part of their business going forward. So that's huge because Christie's, we could care less, but for old school, old money billionaires that overpay for artwork and it's two bidders trying to outdo each other for you know hundreds of millions of dollars over a piece of art, like that's where they buy their art, you know? So the fact that they're telling and educating these old school investors about this new world is very helpful. It's very helpful for the yeah. entire space. It's, I mean, I, I suppose I could see somebody buying this thing and then like learning about Bitcoin and blockchain. Like, I guess I'll buy some of that too. Right. Okay, there's no <laughs> doubt. I mean, that has to have happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know how this goes. It, it's cryptocurrency and NFTs and anything else that will ever be produced on the blockchain or any technology in general, it comes out, it seems odd and strange and you don't know if it'll work you think it's kind of a fad it might fail but time builds confidence time and security it builds confidence people become comfortable and it's people hate change so when there's enough time goes by it's no longer change it's now just the new norm and and when that happens that flip happens then the comfort comes and when the comfort comes the actual for people that are uncomfortable, they they make the purchase. So that's where we're at in in terms of Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and a few others right now. People are comfortable now to make the purchase. And that will happen on the art side as well. That's why I think it's pretty, pretty early days. But I mean, this is I, how many times have we seen this cycle? How many people said that is the ugliest looking thing when they saw the iPad? They're like, that's just a huge iPhone. Like there's like there's like a thousand moments like that that have happened where we've seen these big technology shifts where it just seemed impossible and now it's just like oh of course we would reland rockets without destroying them every single time of course of course our cars will drive themselves like you know like there was so many tesla haters back in the day like that'll never work not enough range you know we heard all those stories so it's it's fun i enjoyed it at this point it's more because once you can convince yourself and you can see the other side and then when the next one comes up, it doesn't seem as disruptive or weird to you. You're just like, oh, this is another one of those things that if it works, it could be massive. Not to say they will all work, but you get more comfortable and you can adopt them sooner than most people and you will have the most to gain at that point. Because you'll have been buying Bitcoin at $100 and not 10000 right? So that's like, you just have to get yourself a little bit more comfortable and loose in, in that regard with what you adopt. I mean, you're kind of talking about just, you know, being a value investor, right? Like you're seeing past the current price of anything and you're like, okay, there's something there. 
that information asymmetry is what you're ex- exploiting. Like you can see the the interesting thing and take that risk. That's right. And and the risk has to be, I mean, you're going to lose some of them. So in my mind, when I take that risk, I have to say, are there kind of, if this does work, like close my eyes, sleeping beauty, I'm out for five years. If this does work, is there a couple orders of magnitude room to grow? And if the answer is yes, this this could be massive, then yeah, I'd, I'd take that bet every single day. And I, I'm going to lose nine out of 10, but when the 10th one does hit, it, you know, it'll be a thousand X return and that's fine. The projects that you mentioned your True Ventures is investing in, are they still these massive bets? Or are you guys looking at more traditional, like we have this many MAUs in crypto, we think we'll 10x it? It's a little bit of both. So we do hold individual currencies. And, you know, so many of the common names that you would know about in the DeFi space will hold their kind of native tokens will do things that are just new projects. So founders that are coming to us that haven't even written a line of code yet, but are getting excited and ready to launch something or kick off a new project. So we'll, we'll back them early on. We're very careful though. There's a couple things that we tell our founders. One, we're very long-term investors. So one of the things that really is a shame is you have people that are willing to just like flip out of something really quickly. And, you know, we already tell our projects that we want to hold your, your, whatever it is, we'd like to hold it for the next 10 years. So, you know, some people say, how about a two-year lockup? How about a four-year lockup of our, our, our coin? We're like, keep going, keep going up. We don't care. Like, seriously, let's weed out the people that aren't in this for the long term. Like, I, I have no problem investing in a project with a five-year, seven-year lockup. No problem. Because why do I want to sell at year two? Like, if you really believe in the project and where the world is going, you want to hold this for a decade or longer. And so that's the kind of investors we want to be to these crypto projects, which I think is really refreshing for a lot of them, especially if they've, they're going into their second project where they've had investors just dump out and really damage their, their coin in some way. So yeah, we'll do a, a little bit of that type of stuff. Um, so it's all over the map. It's basically anything and everything that the blockchain can touch and will touch. We, we want to chat about it. Awesome. I mean, that's really good advice. We got lucky, I think, in our founding days simply because of, you know, we, we like had the most conservative legal interpretation. So everything had to have like these lockups. So all the funds that we talked to, 90% of them were like, well... I want liquidity right away. I'm like, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, well, here's the awesome thing about Solana. I remember, because, you know, obviously I was an early investor and thank you for allowing me in. And everyone's waiting for that day for the lockup to come. And it it comes and we all kind of like look around the room and the price goes up because nobody's selling. And I'm like, you got the right people around the table. You got the right investors that are like, you know what? This is inning one. We believe in where this is going. Let's like stick with this, you know? So that that was so awesome that you did a fantastic job picking your investors. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to think that was all intentional, but <laughs> a, a lot of it was, I think, a bit of luck, uh, you know, as usually there, there is in, in, in every success. Um, it's quite different, I think, for crypto projects to launch because you're kind of doing the, your IPO and a product launch at the same time. And that's really, really tough on like an early stage startup where you don't have this like clear product market fit. You kind of don't have legs yet, right? Like, so I don't think a lot of traditional companies have to deal with this. You know, Coinbase just IPO today. And they clearly have product market fit, billions of revenue, right? So they're 
so they kind of like have a lot to fall back on. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I can only imagine how stressful that must have been for you on, on like. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing too was that our launch was three days after Black Thursday. Basically, like we had everything set up. You know, we didn't really want to change in the timelines and this massive, unforeseeable event with a pandemic, stock market crash, and the Bitcoin crash in the same day kind of happen and in retrospect the way we looked at it was that well you know you can never time the market but the bottom right after something this bad you're kind of like cleared out a lot of the the risk because you're so like you're starting at such a bottom that we can kind of screw up right we can screw up for months before anyone even notices um <laughs> yeah, but your product also just like it, it delivered on its promise, which was, was so cool. I, I'll never forget. Like I was in, um, I was in Coinbase custody, which is where I hel- held my Solana. And then after the lockup ended, I was like, well, I want to take custody of this because Coinbase was charging me fees and stuff. And I was like, I'm out. And so I, I put it into trust wallet and then I tried to, I did a transfer because I wanted to see how it worked. I'm like, I'm going to do some transfers, you know, I sent it to another wallet address Dude, it was like, when I saw how fast it was, I was like, oh my God. Because when you're so used to like all the other worlds, like, and, and you're waiting <laughs> and it just like, it was like magic. And it was like, this is the way it should work. That is am- amazing. It made me so happy. That's awesome. So it was like, it was like really cool. That must've been a cool moment for a lot of people that that have used your your product is, is just seeing it work in real life. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty excited about that uh, for sure. And like, you know. The idea that we can even run a central limit order book, like what NASDAQ runs on, on one of these systems. Yeah. Not, not everyone still gets it, but like, got to like explain it to them that what Uniswap does and not what we do are like two different worlds. Yeah. The most, the most important thing, recommendation, and I have to give everyone listening and, and I'm sure you'd probably say something similar. It's like, I remember when you guys launched USDC coin on Solana and I was like, okay, I don't need any of the USDC coin on Solana right now, but I need to go try it out. I need to figure out how to go out and buy this and how it works. And like, okay, now how can I get this back to Ethereum? And like, how do, how do I traverse these, these different chains? And you just got to like go and kick the tires on all this stuff. Even if you're taking $100 and you're like, I'm just going to go do a bunch of just little tiny transactions and play with some different wallets and do a little staking over here with uh, was a soul stake, I guess it is. Uh, and I want to try everything. And I think that's the, anyone that's getting into crypto, even though it sounds intimidating, it can be, and you can lose it all, but make losing it all be 50 or a hundred dollars and, and go play and make mistakes. Yeah. That, that's really good advice. Like if, if folks are get, just getting into crypto, there's kind of that's like level one. Level two is going. It's trying all of these things and trying to understand why is it even important. Yeah. Like why is DeFi important, right? Like, can <laughs> there's a lot of education left left to be done. I think you know you have a hard stop, and um, I want to thank you for being uh, on the show and really awesome to talk to you as always. Excited to hear that you're really deep into NFTs and Ultima Online. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good dude. Let's, let's, hopefully, we can acquire Ultima Online and and turn that into something that's Solana powered. Yeah, full of NFTs. <laughs> exactly. I, I got to tell you before I I, I bounce. Um, thank you so much, man. I'm a huge fan of the show. I listen to every episode, and uh, you're doing great work there. And if anyone wants to check out my podcast related to cryptocurrency, and I'll definitely have you on there. 
It's just uh, modern.finance is the URL and you can get all the links uh, there. So thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Take care. 